This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Got a busy week this week. Free agency starts. So it's the basketball tournament. We have Patrick's Day on Saturday. And this past Monday was... So, Ron, how'd you celebrate? Well... To quote, to quote the great Ray Malavese. <laughs> Greatest press conference ever as he slept through it on the phone. It was great. And you know what? They kept asking questions. You remember right. that? They kept right yeah. waiting. That's it was right. Great. That was yeah. tremendous. It's terrific. You know the thing, Goose, I love about this day is that the older you get, nobody has to tell you it's National Napping Day because, at least around here, every day is National Napping Day. But how come I never got the memo about National Napping Day? I mean, who's in charge of that? You know, I certainly could have used a nap on Monday. If only yeah. I had known. Yeah, well, we don't need memos around here. I just fall asleep every afternoon. Sometimes I fall asleep on you guys as well. But, um, you know, nobody can accuse the Cleveland Browns of falling asleep uh, within two days the past week. They pulled off four times as many trades as they did victories the past two years. And, Ron, do the math there. Four times as many trades. That means four. Yeah, they pulled four off. And there's a lot going on there. And maybe it's me, but, uh, Goose, it, it sure seems... Like, there are a lot more trades these days than there ever been. So yeah. what's up with that? Clark, by my count, there have been 11 trades, and all involve starting players changing teams. Pro Bowl players, Super Bowl winners, and I think the reason is the explosion of the salary cap. It's at $177 million this year. You have more financial cushion now to absorb contracts and take the salary cap hits that come when you move older players off your roster. You know, the NFL's a young man's game, and we're seeing that with all the trades and salary cap casualties this offseason. Well, to find out what's going on in Cleveland... Uh, we're going to sit down with someone who knows. And no, it's not GM John Dorsey. It's someone who's been on the scene there longer than John and knows that club inside out. And that's former beat writer Tony Grossi. Also joining us, Hall of Fame voter Dan Pompey as our Best of the Rest series goes to Chicago to get Dan's take on the best bear not in can. And we're going to start our college draft series by taking a look at the draft history of the University of Texas. Ron? Well, you know, it's pretty interesting how the mighty uh, uh, horns have fallen. 1984, they had 17 players drafted. Last year, one. And it's been eight years since they draft, uh, drafted longer and became a Pro Bowl player. And that was Earl Thomas in, in 2010. Goose, what's happened in Austin? The best player on their team this year in this draft could be a punter. That oh, says it all. Wow, wow, says it all. Wow. Hook them oh, in steps. Yeah, well, <laughs> we've got a lot to get to. And you know what? We will right after this. You listen to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We become so jaded and, and inured to the unthinkable these days that there really aren't that many times when you go, Judas Priest. But you know what? This is one of them. That's because Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz was invited to an event Tuesday as a special guest. And that event was a concert by, you guessed it, <laughs> Judas Priest. <laughs> hey, Goose, you get a chance to visit the president or Judas Priest. Where are you going? I've already met a priest, Priest Holmes, so I'm headed to the White House. Wow. Ron, how about you? <laughs> when I think Schwartzy, I think Judas Priest or Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> About the same decibel level, I think. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing. I know where cornerback Richard Sherman's going, or has gone, and that's San Francisco. He was released last week by the Seahawks. 
Then he signed a three-year deal, as you know, with the 49ers, and, and, and immediately, as comes as a shock to you guys, but uh, people were talking about what a steal it was for San Francisco and how this is going to make them so much better on the back end. But he's coming off surgery on both Achilles, guys. I mean, an Achilles surgery, and it just doesn't that make him a risk? I mean, I don't know a player that I cover, especially defensive back, and I covered one in San Diego, Danny Walters, he had an Achilles injury. He wasn't the same. I don't know any guy, especially DB, who's ever been the same goose after torn Achilles, especially yeah, two. Yeah, Kevin Smith was a first-round pick of the Cowboys in a borderline pro bowler at corner during their Super Bowl run, but he suffered a ruptured Achilles and was never the same when he came back. You know, the Achilles is particularly stressed by the constant backpedaling of cornerback, so I doubt we see the same Richard Sherman we saw in Seattle, whose mere presence forced offense to look the other way. He's also 30 years of age this season, so his best years are clearly behind him at the position. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we all, as you guys point out, the recovery from that injury is always difficult and even more difficult to project because everybody's different. Uh, the one thing I think that Sherman has going for him is the sort of revenge motive, uh, which I think for a guy like him with his personality would certainly propel him uh, into a rehab uh, to the optimum. Now, what the optimum is, that uh, we don't know. Um, but I, but I think that uh, the personality he has gives him the best chance. Whether his body's going to agree with it, time will tell. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I, I, the problem I have with free agency is people buy the names, not the abilities. And I think that's what we're going to see here. You're spending a lot of money on older players, and you're not getting bang for the buck. You know, Ndamukong Sue is not the same player that uh, in Detroit, in Miami, that he was in Detroit. And I think that's that's where a lot of teams get bogged down. The fans want them to sign free agents. And when they do, they don't get uh, their money's worth. Yeah, no, you're right. In, in this case, of course, guys, Joe Thomas is out there saying that Sherbert didn't get his money's worth either. Uh, you know, sort of saying a, a, kind of a, a, a beard for the union, I think, in this case. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what leverage did the guy have? You know, can he run yet? Can he walk yet? You know, can he scratch his nose yet? I mean, you know, uh, he didn't have a ton of leverage, and and uh, and I think he just wanted uh, he wanted to play, he wanted to stay on the West Coast, I think, and he wanted a shot to play Seattle twice a year, so he's going to get it. Now, whether that's uh, the right move for the 49ers or not, time will tell. But I agree with you, Goose. Uh, for the most part, these older injured players seldom seem to work out. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Ron, how does that revenge motive help two? Achilles would have been dead. Yeah, 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 exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, you can be, you can be as sure. revengeful as you want, but if you can't walk yeah. to the across the room, it's a tra- it's a problem. A couple yeah. flat tires. Okay, well, the, the question the goose can't stand, but that I love to ask, and then love to ask again and again. But let's say Richard Sherman's toast that he's that he's finished. Let's say this is it. Where is he on the Hall of Fame meter, Goose? I mean, going to the Hall or going to the Mall? If sixty-five interceptions can't get Ken Riley into the Hall, and fifty-seven interceptions can't get Everson Walls in the Hall. And 53 interceptions can't get tied law in the hall. I doubt 32 interceptions are going to get Richard Sherman to Canton. <laughs> I mean, look, he played seven years. He got 25% of his interceptions, uh, 32 total, in one season. Uh, but let me tell you about the, the remaining, uh, what is that? The, do the math. You went to Dartmouth. Uh, 32 minus 8 is uh, oh, 24, yeah, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, there you go. Lester <laughs> Hayes had 16 in one season. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, you know, he had... I like that math. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Dartmouth, I mean, Ron. Welcome yeah, to Dartmouth. You're, yeah, you're admitted. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, quick question for you guys. Goose, I'll start with you. Richard Sherman or Darrell Rivas? Oh, 
I'll take Revis in his prime, but if you're talking Hall of Fame, I take neither. Ron. Yeah, yeah. If you're talking about Hall of Fame, I take uh, neither because when I think of Richard uh, Sherman, and I look up those 32 interceptions, I say, well, "Who had more than that? How about Stan White?" <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show. Friend of the, Friend of the, the show. show Stan exactly. White. Love Stan Former White. Baltimore Cole. Love Stan. Uh, okay, let me try this. <laughs> Richard Sherman, Darrell Revis, Ty Law, who Ron presented, or Everson Walls, who Goose presented. Ron? Uh, to, look, to me, Ty Law. He did, he did <laughs> wow. it all. He won it all. He's got the deepest resume. He was a starting cornerback his entire career. Uh, you know, I mean, please. <laughs> Plus, you presented him. <laughs> Well, there was that. And you just presented him again. Okay, yeah, Goose, you presented that's the problem. Walls. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ty Law, Everson Walls, Bobby Boyd, Eric Allen, Pat Fisher, Albert Lewis, Louis Wright, Rondé Barber. The line of observing cornerbacks is long, and the line forms at the end. So get in line, Richard and Darrell, and prepare yourself for a long wait. <laughs> yeah, except this just in, guys. You know how that room's tilted lately, and, and I mean this year. And it's in favor of the latest is the greatest. Right. Uh, there's going to be moved to, to canonize this guy and make him, you know, Goose. <laughs> I don't like this one either. I, I, I hate to say it. Make him a first ballot choice but because how do you, the networks or ESPN or somebody's going to demand it. The guy's got half as many picks as Ken Riley, and Ken Riley can't get a sniff. I, I just, <laughs> yeah. at some point, common sense, and, and it, it's got to kick in here at some point. ESPN okay, is the a, film of Ken Riley. That's why, that's why he ain't getting that's, in. That's, that's they do it with Richard right. Sherman. This is a really simple question for you guys. We're playing tomorrow for the Super Bowl championship. they got a great receiver in the other team. Who do you want covering them? Richard Sherman. Darrell Rivas, who would have been hiding in the bathroom, or Lester Hayes. <laughs> the judge. <laughs> the judge, exactly. I mean, come on. Well, if, can he use Stickham or is Stickham an outlaw? <laughs> Love Stickham. <laughs> All rise. Here comes the judge. Well, Love how it. about this? Since the court is in session, Richard Sherman, Darrell Rivas, or Dave Grayson? Good Ron, one. you know me. I bleed silver and black. As you should. Yeah, not really. Most of the time I just bleed red here. <laughs> but uh, there's an Oakland Raider I'd like to push on to you, too, for the senior committee, and that's former cornerback Dave Grayson, who played for the Chiefs before his trade to Oakland. And I wrote about him this week on our website, talkcafenetwork.com, and this is what I like about him. The guy was a multiple AFL All-Star. He was a four-time All-Pro. He was a member of two AFL championship teams. He's the all-time AFL leader in interceptions. In three consecutive years, he ranked either first or second in the AFL in kickoff returns. And he's a first-team member of the all-time all-AFL team. Now, this is what I don't like about him. He's not only not in the Hall of Fame, he's never been a finalist or semifinalist. In short, he's never had his case discussed, and that's what I don't get. I mean, Dave Grayson was a star for the Chiefs and Ron's Oakland Raiders. I guess that would be Goose's Chiefs, too. And let's not forget that he holds the FL record for longest interception return. That was 99 yards in 1961. Or that his interception of George Bland in the 67 championship game helped send the Raiders to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl II. Or even that he averaged 20 yards of return in interceptions and had five touchdowns. I want to look at his impact. He was traded to the Raiders in 1965 for Fred the Hammer Williamson. That's when Oakland had won 35% of its games the first five years, or basically one of every three. There's that uh, Dartmouth education coming in. Again. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> I knew it would help. But after Grayson showed up, well, in the six years he was there, Raiders won 77% and went to three state straight league title games. Now, I know he wasn't the reason, but he was part of it. 
And anyone who watched the Raiders' defense from 1967, when he moved from corner to safety to accommodate Willie Brown, through 1969 would understand. Because the Raiders were 37-4-1 and and had one of the league's best defenses and secondaries. Now, Dave Grayson was an integral part of that defense. What he's not is a part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'd like to see that changed. Okay, Clark, Dave Grayson or Lester Hayes? Well, uh, tough one, Goose, but reluctantly the judge. I mean, Lester Hayes, six-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ, 13 interceptions one year, All-Decade player, and defensive player of the year. Uh, not sure why he's not in the Hall of Fame either, but, yeah, the judge. Now, unfortunately, with Dave having passed away, um, there's no urgency to move on to this Hall of Fame case, but there is urgency for us to go to break, and we're going to do that right now. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, you won't hear this often on the show, but Cleveland has become the center of the NFL universe. That's right. The Browns not only are sitting on two of the top four draft picks, but they're making more moves than the White House. With four trades last week and maybe just maybe more coming. Um, I don't know about that, but I know someone who does. And that's our next guest. That would be Hall of Fame voter Tony Grossi, who's a Browns analyst for ESPNCleveland.com and a guy who's followed the Brownies for, what, Tony, over three decades? Is that right? Yeah, the first number is a three. I don't know what the second number is. So it's <laughs> nine. Yeah, that would be nine. Okay. Three, too many. <laughs> hey, hey, Tony, quick question here. <laughs> Any chance the Browns are trying to acquire Rex Tillerson? He's a free agent. Uh, <laughs> they have the camp room. <laughs> Good one. Um, so, Tony, let's go to the football side of this interview. Two-part question. Uh, one, surprised by all these moves that the Browns are making, and two, how do you think they affect what Cleveland does at the top of the draft? Um, the first answer is I've been mildly surprised with a couple of the individual names, but we knew they were going to, going to be active. Uh, I was surprised by how active they were in the trading period. seems like that's a new period in the NFL now. There's trading period, free agency, and then the draft. But uh, uh, John Dorsey, uh, he joined the Browns in December for the last four or five games. I think it was the last four games. And one of his first observations was this team is way too young to win. This is the only team in the league that's trying to get older. And so you do that through free agency and trades, and uh, I think overall he's done a pretty good job, uh, a great job, really. Um, as to the second question, Clark, I don't think it has – well, I don't think it affects number one at all. It could affect what they do at number four uh, because I still think they, uh, they may not be done in their defensive secondary uh, in free agency if they get that accomplished uh, – it could change who I think they were targeting at number four. Tony, can you see the Browns opening the season with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback? Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a done deal. I think, I think uh, they will draft a quarterback number one, and I think they will let it be known that they don't intend to play him uh, all things being equal, uh, you know, pull pull off the, the Carson Comer. I think that's isn't that the last quarterback where the coach actually announced he's not going to play uh, his first yeah. year. I, I yeah. think that's what they want to do. Um, 
Actually, the Eagles originally said they were going to redshirt Carson Wentz this first year, but those, that changed fast. Yeah, right. So th- plans can change, but I think that's the intent is to start Tyrod Taylor, try to teach, the, not teach, but uh, let the locker room, uh, reacquaint the locker room with how to win a game at that position and then go from there. Yeah, Kansas City did it last year at Mahomes. They let him sit for 15 weeks, played him last year. Yeah. Okay, can I assume that – go ahead. Same thing, I would think. I mean, Dorsey, you know, was there for that, and, and uh, I think that's the intent. Can I assume that Jim Brown is lobbying for Saquon Barkley? Um, you know, the, the entire city of Cleveland seems to be <laughs> doing that, lobbying for Saquon Barkley. But i got to tell you, guys, I think they're going to be let down. Um I think that Dorsey comes from the old, or not from the old school, but from the school that um, he can find running backs, and in particular this year he could find them plentiful after Barkley. And I, right now, would be surprised if they even take Barkley at four. Whoa. Well, he won't be there. I know. I know that's a minority opinion, but uh, I think Dorsey is almost bracing hoping that he doesn't have to make that decision at four because I think he wants to take a running back later. Uh, Tony, to get back to Taylor for a minute, uh, he's a free agent in 2019. Is this a one-year rental, do you think? What happens if he comes in and he plays well because he's got better weapons and uh, and Mm -hmm. they start winning games? Yeah, I think it is a one-year deal, and I think that's why it appealed. uh, he appealed to them more than, say, uh, A.J. McCarron or any other free agents, because this is a pretty much set, you know, he's got one more year on his deal. Uh, Tyrod's motivation will be to, you know, strike it rich next year in free agency and not worry about the number one pick looking over his shoulder, you know, beyond 2018. I think, I think really that's part of the reason he appealed to them and why they Probably overpaid in a draft pick, giving up a top of the third round. Although I heard there was a, a competitor that kind of drove that up a little. But they knew they were going to have to overpay either in, in trade terms or in contract terms. And I think they feel good about the contract terms. $16 million for a starting quarterback with a record over 500 that's not bad. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's market price, right? Um, and Buffalo, and, Buffalo, and, no less. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's fine. Now, a lot of people think they overpaid again, but I, I think they, they had the capital to do it. And, and again, the one year deal, I think, appeals to both, both sides. I'll tell you, actually, I saw, obviously, I saw him play a lot. I like him better than most people. He's not the most accurate guy in the world, but he's better than I think a lot of people think he is. You, you may be surprised. You know, when you see him play, I think he's... Yeah, he's, well, they had interest in him before Dorsey a year ago. And remember, Buffalo made a surprise move and kept him, uh, or redid his contract a little bit to keep him. Uh, I thought he was going to be their veteran quarterback last year. Um, so people are saying, well, you know, uh, Hugh Jackson was... Everyone knew his guy was A.J. McCarron, and this was an example of Dorsey, you know, saying, I'm the boss. Actually, Hugh liked... Taylor a year ago too, so I, I think uh, I think they came to that resolution very easily that he would be the guy. 
Hey, quick question about Joe Thomas. Uh, is his sort of seemingly somewhat ambivalent feelings, how's that impacting team building? And is he trying to become the Brett Favre of retiring offensive linemen or something? I mean, I, does he want in? Does he want out? Does he want to play? Does he not want to play? What do you think happens? Yeah, I think what's happening with Joe is his body's telling him one thing and his mind's telling him another. He's trying to figure out who to listen to. Uh, he has publicly said uh, he, every every day he, he thinks something differently. So he's vacillating. But even before this triceps tendon injury, Joe talked frequently about how much more difficult it was for him to recover from games every Sunday. He was... You know how players, yeah, so some of them feel better on Tuesday. Some of them feel better on Wednesday. Joe was saying it took him to Friday sometimes to recover from games. He's got knee and back issues that he has really covered up by playing every snap prior to that injury that have just taken their toll. So, um, I, I, you know, I guess it's very, very hard to see the end, but sometimes your body makes that decision for you. So that makes him just like us, Tony, right? I mean, our body's telling us one thing, but our mind's telling us something else, right? <laughs> hey, we'll see. We'll see how he feels when he's our age. <laughs> yeah, right. not that's good. Right. Not good. And we're speaking with Tony Grossi of ESPNCleveland.com on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at TalkOfFameNetwork.com or on Twitter at, at TalkOfFameNet. And, Tony, since you mentioned um, you think the Browns will take a quarterback at one, am I to assume that's going to be Sam Darnold? Well, he would be my front runner right now, Clark. Okay. Um, I think it's close enough that it can change, uh, and and I would rank them. And, and these are educated guesses because you know it's it's harder to get information from from Dorsey than it is the the Kremlin. <laughs> but um, I would I would put Darnold one, uh, Josh Allen two, and Baker Mayfield three, and I think they're bunching up so. Um, we know Darnold hasn't thrown yet. I think it's next week. It's just uh, pro day and, and the interviews and the workouts that will follow. But I think that's where they stand right now. Okay, and then you said you thought maybe defense at four. So let's just assume that Chubb's off the board at four, which I think mm-hmm. might be a safe assumption. Do you think then that he'd go to a guy like Mika Fitzpatrick? Well, Originally, I thought that he was the, he was my guy in my first two mock drafts at that position. Of, um, you know, they they did trade for Demarius Randall, and they do expect to move him to free safety. Um, but they also have issues at cornerback, and depending on how, how free agency goes, uh, it will either uh, affirm in my mind that that they'll take Fitzpatrick as a cornerback. Or they might get enough uh, corner help to uh, to go to another position there at four. But he he was the the guy in my mind. I thought that they would take. Now, don't you guys think after all this activity that there's a chance Chubb can be there at four because of teams maybe trying to trade up yep. for the quarterbacks? Yep. It looks like Buffalo's trying to do that, and sure. maybe another team. Okay, Tony is is there optimism in the dog pound? And is it legit? Well, and one of them is Jason McCourty. You can't win in this league, you know, first and second year players all over the place. So um, he's done a lot, like I said earlier, uh, to, to populate the team with older veterans. Uh, they're younger veterans, but they're veterans. And um, 
having stability at quarterback just to steer the team right and get it in the right direction, um, I think it's going to do wonders. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think they're definitely on the way up. And who knows, when the dust settles after uh, you know the draft, uh, they could be a lot better. Hey, Tony, we got to run, but thanks so much for the time. And, and you know what? Do us a favor if you could. Let us know if you're the next to move from Cleveland, would you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure thing. Thanks, Tony. All right, guys. Thanks. Good to hear from it. you. That was Hall of Fame voter Tony Grossi. And this, this is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Before we get to free agency, um, I want to touch on a story, guys, that got plenty of play around the New York area last weekend, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. And what in the world he was doing in that apartment with that model, with whatever he was holding his hand in Paris, in, in Paris. Um, now, in and of itself, it, it may not seem like much, but when you consider these on the hook for a big payday and, and that Giants owner John Mara said he wants to pay him, I, I think it is. And, Rick, um, there was a terrific column in Tuesday's New York Post by Hall of Fame voter and friend of the show, Gary Myers, saying basically that the Giants shouldn't pay this guy until he grows up. And that, and that what happened in Paris last weekend could not only affect his status with the Giants, but with the league's enforcement police, who might just be interested to find out exactly what was going on there. Yeah, what's easy for Gary to say isn't going to be easy for John Mara to do. You know, let's say the Giants don't pay him. Let's mm-hmm. say they play hardball with him. Then they have two choices, franchise him or let him walk. If you franchise him, there's no incentive for him to clean up his act. You're going to pay him $16 million to play one season, and that, that's the franchise tag for 2018. It'll increase in 2019. If you let him walk at the end of the season, someone else will give him the money that you're reluctant to pay him. So I'm guessing the Giants will end up giving him the money and keeping their fingers crossed that he becomes a good investment. Yeah, well, probably. But, uh, Ron, as I said, this was and, and is a big deal in and around New York, and it's to the point where Carl Banks – who's been an OBJ supporter and friend of the show. Um, And Spartan, that's right, Spartan, um, called him out. And Hall of Fame receiver Chris Carter did too. He he said, you know, OBJ, he cited his stupidness in a video. Stupidness is what he called it. Now, first of all, I think he's right, but why would you have a video of yourself, Ron, in in a potentially incriminating position? And and second, if you're the Giants, what would you do? Well, uh, I think obviously the most damnable crime is, is the video. Uh, look, getting high with a model in a hotel room in Paris is very likely not a first or a 31st or 131st for professional athletes. I mean, Is that on your bucket list, Ron? It is, it is on my bucket list. <laughs> all of those things, actually, all three yeah. of them. Any one would be good at this stage. Uh, but I'm not saying, uh, you know, uh, that it's the best way to go, you know, or uh, advisable for anyone. But the bigger question is the one, to me, of stupidity. Uh, my yeah. dad used to say there's no percentage in being stupid, uh, and OBJ <laughs> just proved that. You know, my concern would be more that uh, if, if he's stupid enough to allow that to happen, what else might he be dumb enough to get involved in? Yeah. Now, the flip side, as you mentioned for the Giants, though, is this. If you didn't pay uh, every star athlete who isn't exactly a Mensa candidate, then there'd be a lot of available talent. I mean, 
you know, they are what they are. Uh, they know him best. They know if this is more immaturity than character flaw or more stupidity than ignoring obvious dangerous behavior. You know, it's a tough call for them. But he's also a rare talent. Yeah, no, he is a rare talent. But th- this guy's got a history, too. I mean, I just think back to last year when he scored that touchdown as the peen on the Hydra. I mean, I w- if I were the coach, I would have benched him right then and there and said, you can't do this. You're embarrassing yourself and you're embarrassing the team. Um, and, and as I said, this could and maybe should have an impact on what happens to him financially. And, and what's happening, guys, by the way, to wide receivers in the 2004 draft class, a class, by the way, where OBJ was the 14th overall choice, is that they're all getting rich. In fact, five of the five of the five wide receivers in that class, um, uh, they have new contracts who pay them anywhere from fourteen and a half to sixteen million dollars a year, and it's it's not just the stupidness that stands out here; it's to me the arrogance of a guy who doesn't really care what people and, and goose. I mean, his employer, I mean the Giants, what they think. Clark, that's because he's Odell Beckham Jr. and you're not. That was the attitude yeah. we saw from Randy Moss. That was the attitude yep. we saw from Terrell Owens. And guess what? Yep. We're enshrining those two in the Hall of Fame this summer. Yep. So good luck trying to transform Beckham into Isaac Bruce or Heinz Amen. Ward. Amen. Right. Uh, you know, I, to be fair, though, guys, I'm not so sure it's so much arrogance as it is just the mistakes of youth. You know, we, we all made them. Some of us forget them as we age. We start to think we didn't make them. But everybody did. Now you're on different platforms and you're in different situations. And in his case, you know, you got the kind of money that he's got, the kind of time that he's got, the kind of opportunities that he got to make what? <laughs> Bigger mistakes. Uh, and when you add pampering and, and all of that that's, that's gone on probably with this kid since, and, and most of the players we see uh, in professional sports since they were 10 years old, uh, you know, I look at it and say instead of asking the, the young man to act more maturely, how about the adults around him act more maturely? How about John John Mara acts a little more like an adult and, and doesn't treat a lot of these guys the way he wouldn't treat any other employee? You know, what's a, you know, but they create an atmosphere where they think they're bulletproof. And it's partially yeah. because these guys are, are making them feel like they're bulletproof. Yeah, although, I mean, the Maras, I mean, his dad stood by LT and, and stood by him to the very end. I, mean, I, I I, I, yeah, I, but I that's know. just I, what I'm saying. What he wouldn't saying. have stood by him if he was a PR guy. Yeah, that's true. Um, He'd have kicked his ass right out. He wouldn't but, have been around there for two minutes. But yeah. you know, I, you I, got I, talent, I, so you treat him. Look at what he did yeah. with the with the kicker. Look what they did with the kicker. Yeah, well, that was stupid. That was absolutely that. You talk about stupidness. That was stupidness. Right. I mean, I, I mean I, which is worse, getting caught with a model and some and some uh, uh, or, yeah, or potentially some drug yeah. in Paris, or beating your wife. Yeah. You know, right. I'll take the model in Paris every time. Thank you, just the same. Yeah, that's on your bucket list. I know. It okay, is. enough of OBJ. On to free agency. Even if it's guys. in Paris, Texas. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Just so long as it's not with Paris Hilton, okay? Um, on. Paris, got, Texas, we... hometown of Raymond Berry. Well, there you go. See? Is that right? Yes, yeah. Sir. Whoa. Oh, my, one of my all-time favorite wide receivers. Yeah. I've got an autographed photo, as Ron see, has seen, of yes. Raymond Berry on my wall. And I Look can tell that. you this. He would not have been caught with a model and a, <laughs> and a pile that. of whatever in Paris anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Ron, you mentioned tampering earlier, and, and I want to get into this because I, I want to talk about the, the pros and cons of free agency. I, I specifically want to touch on that 52-hour legal tampering period. I love that time. Legal tampering. Illegal, that's great. It sounds like an oxymoron because it is. Um, that The League Institute is six years ago, and to me, is a joke. I mean, I woke up Tuesday morning to see reports that, well, Sammy Watkins had agreed to a deal with Kansas City. Oh, yeah. 
Andrew Norwell's on his way to Jacksonville. Oh, and just this just in, Jags' Allen Robinson, yeah, he's headed to Chicago. So, Goose, why in the world do we have a legal tampering period when these deals are already done? Why does the NFL allow teams to designate players in March and April as June cuts? Why does the NFL do a lot of quirky things? It's easier to grant a 52-hour tampering period than it is to troop about a dozen teams in New York City every offseason to face tampering charges. I think the league has decided in this case, a free agency, it's best to just look away. You know, to paraphrase my great and good friend Mickey Rivers, if it's legal, it ain't tampering. And if tampering, it ain't legal. I mean, you know, it's another of a million examples of misused language. You know, I mean, what are they talking about? It's absurd. Uh, now, why not just push the free agency period up 52 hours? And exactly. what? You know, what genius, by the way, came up with 52 hours? Why not 53 hours and nine they'll minutes? Talk, then they'll give a tampering period next week, the previous week. Sure, no matter what you give them, they're going to be tampering. They're going to tamper, so exactly. Just let them do it, it, it forget it. You know what, Ron? It's the same genius that comes with those kickoffs for Super Bowls at, what, 622 or whatever it is? I mean, it's <laughs> I know. ridiculous. It is. No, what about 630? How about 650? How about 6 o'clock? Anyway. 52 um, hours. You ever heard of a movie called 52 hours? No. 24 <laughs> hours. 48 hours. Right. Not 52 hours. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, you know, this was supposed to get around the illegal tampering, you know. Uh, <laughs> but but how are you going to stop it? I mean, if I'm a player, I, I have my agent contact the team prior to the legal tampering. I just I just love that title, legal tampering. <laughs> period to set up a deal that we're going to announce anyway. So to me, it, it just all sounds like a charade. And, and more than that, Ron, it sounds like some of that Odell Beckham Jr. stupidness. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a charade. You know, That's right. It's, it's a Harvey Weinstein defense, legal tampering. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? You know, the truth is, uh, no matter what they set up as a time frame, they're going to cheat. Yep. So stop acting yep. like it. Uh, especially now we live in a world where what are we here? If you're not cheating, you're not trying, which is sadly right. true. And the NCA proves it every year. Uh, but but think about this whole situation going back to college uh, and even high school with these kids, high profile uh, athletes. They're coming up through a cesspool system from college recruiting through college, and so are the coaches. So when they get to the NFL, all any of them know is these rules are just silliness. It's whatever you yeah. can really get away with. So they don't even think it's tampering. And understand this, too. The, the, the mega agents have dozens of clients. Let's say an agent calls up a GM in, in November and says, hey, I uh, want to redo so-and-so. And the GM says, well, you got a receiver on the – and the Rams that we kind of like. What what's his deal? This this goes on year round. Right. You you want to know? You want to lay the land? Who who's who's coming free? Who's not? This this goes on all the time. There's there's illegal legal whatever you want to call. It, it's going on all the time. You can't you can't patrol it. You'd be suspending players and finding teams every every day of the week for conversations. Okay. Well, let, let's move on to free agency itself. And Goose and I touched on this a week ago, Ron. Um, as you know. He's not a big fan of free agency and believes the draft builds teams. And free agency actually supplements him. And I, and I think he's right. I mean, that, that's the way it goes. But as I mentioned him last week, I'm not so sure Jacksonville is in the conference championship game or in a playoff game, period, if it doesn't add Calais Campbell and A.J. Bouye, not Bouya, Bouye, as free agents. Bouye! I like it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think you know, you're right about that. But I think in general what Goose is talking about is uh, – the foundation of your team, for a lot of different reasons, has to be drafted players. And one of those reasons is they're cheaper. You know, you're yeah, getting right. their best years, uh, in the most part, uh, at their cheapest rate. 
and so you, then you could fill in a few spots if you've built your team adequately that way. You need a guy here, you need a guy there. But if you look at the Patriots, you know, for the most part, they don't try to solve big personnel problems with right. with big money contracts. And the few times they've tried, frankly, they went bust too for the most part. Uh, Miami, as Goose pointed out a week ago, they, I mean, they've got a losing record since writing a check to Wendomican Sue that was absurd. Uh, yeah. So what, you know, what do they get for their money? They got Zippo. Uh, so, you know. You could play a lot of they, the Dolphins could have paid a lot of really solid second through fifth round draft picks with that hundred and seventeen million dollars they blew on in Dominican yep. Sue. Yep. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him because I give someone to ask you about that. Um, he's a defensive tackle and and he didn't pan out there, but it, it seems as if that position really seems to backfire in free agency, especially when big bucks are involved. I mean, I can think of defensive tackles like Albert Hainsworth and Dana Stubblefield. As two examples of defensive tackles gone bad, what, what is it about that position and free agency? They just well, don't go together. Defensive tackle is not a stats position. So when you give those players contracts that pay out 80, 90, 100 million, even when they play well, it's impossible to justify the dollars spent because the stats don't correlate to the spending. The best defensive tackles play the run and occupy blockers in the pass rush. Fletcher Cock may have been the best inside presence on the NFL, on any NFL defense a year ago. He collected only five and a half sacks for the Eagles. The only way to justify the spending is if that player contributes to a Super Bowl winning effort like Cox did. Sue. Hainsworth and Subfield did not, so they became bad and expensive investments. Okay, uh, guys, we're running out of time here, so I want to get down to our Hall of Fame of unrestricted free agents. We're a Hall of Fame guys, so let's do that. Um, let's take a tour of the top three, and, and I'll start by doing the, the first one, quarterback Drew Brees. I mean, he doesn't have the wins of the MVPs or the Super Bowl appearances of Peyton Manning, but he certainly transformed a bad team into a Super Bowl champion. So, Goose, I like Drew Brees. Where are you going? Reggie White still the best free agent investment in the history of free agency. Broke down so many walls in signing with Green Bay. Helped the Packers become a Super Bowl champion. One of three ends named to the 75th anniversary team. First ballot Hall of Famer. Ron, well, how about you? I'll give you a first ballot uh, free agent that most people forget about. Friend of the show, Simeon Rice. Double-digit sacks for five years in a row, plus a Super Bowl when he got to Tampa. He was the final piece of that defensive puzzle. And he earned every penny they paid him. Yeah, no, that's right. Friend of the show, Simeon Rice. You know what, guys? I love, by the way, how they call it free agency. Talk about oxymorons. <laughs> There's nothing free about it. There's nothing <laughs> really? free about right. it. Anyway, we're going to stop right there and break for commercial. When we return, it's a two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We have a special guest in the house this week. Yeah, a week ago... Ed Hockley announced his retirement. Remember that? Well, today he's here to help us with the segment. So, Ed. That's the two-minute warning. Thank you. That's right. It's the two-minute drill. And, Ed, thanks for getting us started. There have been 11 NFL trades involving starting players already this offseason. So why all the trades all of a sudden? Spring cleaning. <laughs> because a half-filled cup is better than an empty one. Which general manager has the better offseason to date? John Dorsey of the Browns or Les Snead of the Rams? Les Snead. He spent the offseason in L.A. John Dorsey spent in Cleveland. <laughs> I would say the opposite. John uh, Dorsey, which shows you the upside uh, of always being on the downside. The Patriots acquired defensive tackle Danny Shelton for a third-round draft pick. The Rams acquired cornerback Aqib Talib for a four. And the Eagles acquired pass rusher Michael Bennett for a five. Which team got the best trade value? Must be the Pats. As Ron would tell you, they win without stars. 
I'd say it's got to be the Rams because uh, Tlaib has been the most consistently productive guy. And uh, uh, I don't think you ever have to worry about him sprinting out of a Las Vegas casino when the cops say stop and then try and deny it in a place filled with cameras. This is a two-minute drill. The Rams now line up Pro Bowlers Marcus Peters and Akeem Tlaib at corner. That gives L.A. the best NFL cornerback combination since... Hollywood and Vine. Best corners I've been around. <laughs> Akeem Tlaib and Chris Harris, Jr. Since the Rams have been hoarding great corners, why didn't they sign Richard Sherman as well? They didn't need another offensive coordinator. I think because they're hoarding great corners, not great street corner orators. Daryl Rivas and Dominique Rogers committee also been released this offseason. Can they expect a call from the Rams? They can expect calls from Social Security. Exactly. Rivas will get a call from nobody, including the Hall of Fame. Can you see the Browns entering the season with Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback? I can see them entering the season with a quarterback they know can lose. <laughs> the way things are going at Cleveland Goose, I can see the Browns entering the season with Milt Plum at quarterback. <laughs> Tyrod Taylor, Jim Taylor, or Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy? James Taylor, just turned 70. Otis Taylor, Tyrod needs another weapon. That's the end of the that's the end of our first hour, but don't stray too far. We have Dan Pompey coming up, as well as a salute to the University of Texas history of draft picks in our next hour. You'll listen to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network. Best of the rest series continues with the best Chicago Bear, not in Canada. We're also going to salute the draft history of the University of Texas, have St. Patrick's Day saluted, the Ides of March, which is Thursday, March 15th. And take it from us, people. Don't go for the Caesar salad that night. But first, it's not often we get to say this, guys, so let's not waste this opportunity. Congratulations to owner Dan Snyder and the Washington Redskins for doing the right thing. Yes, the right thing. 30 years later, deciding to give the 1987 replacement player Super Bowl rings. Now, I wanted to say it's about time, but you know what? It's not. It's way past time. And we want to salute Dan and the Redskins for recognizing that. Yeah, Clark, let's go back and look at the impact. The Redskins were 1-1 coming off a loss to Atlanta when the players walked out and strike after the second game. So Washington certainly didn't look like a Super Bowl contender at that point. But three games later, three strike games. All victories. Redskins found themselves with the best record in the NFL. That, of course, provided the impetus for division, conference, and Super Bowl titles. So, indeed, those rings are long overdue. Yeah, you're right about that. And, Ron, remember when we had uh, running back Lionel Vital on this show last fall? And he made it clear he believed that the replacement players should have been recognized. And, and they should have. Um, they went 3-0 in a season where the, the Skins were 11-4 and and, and, of course, beat Denver in the Super Bowl. But you don't have to be an Einstein to know they wouldn't – or have a Dartmouth to Ron, to know they wouldn't have gotten there without their replacements. No, you're right. I mean, the Redskins refusing to give them Super Bowl rings was like Punch's pilot washing his hands at the crucifixion. I mean, <laughs> come on. Huh? Yeah, you what? can scrub your hands all you want, but the DNA from that blood is still on it. They did that because they were afraid that the returning players, uh, you know, right. were uh, going to be upset about the, these uh, scab players. But the fact of the matter is, what do you think? Those guys who went on strike didn't know that you brought those guys across the picket line? Of course, they give them the rings. They earn the rings. Uh, 
and without them, there is no rings. Hey, Goose, quick question here. Do you think they would have done this without that 30 for 30 documentary that aired on ESPN last fall? That was pretty powerful. Hey, Dan Snyder has been anxious to commission Super Bowl rings since he bought the club in 1999. <laughs> he finally got the opportunity. He finally got the opportunity. <laughs> well, Very good. Well, as I said, congratulations to Dan Snyder and the Washington Redskins for, yep, doing the right thing. And congratulations to those 1987 Washington replacement players. They now have one more Super Bowl ring than the Browns, Lions, Jaguars, and Houston Texans. Anyway, up next, it's March Madness. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, Goose, uh, I see that someone's after your Cowboys tight end. And I mean by that, uh, Jason Witten. But it's not another team trying to sign him as a free agent. It's Fox trying to sign him as its next analyst for Thursday Night Football. Is that what's been reported. Um, any chance he joins former teammate Tony Romo in the booth? You know, Witten was rumored to become the head coach at Tennessee last fall. Now he's rumored to be headed to a TV booth. You know, but the bottom line is this. He still wants to play football. He's fourth on the all-time receiving list. And minus rings on his resume, it's the stats that will put him in Canton. The more, the better. He's got four years left in his deal, and I'm sure he'd like to play at least two of them. Uh, best guess, Goose. Do you think Romo's trying to recruit him? If Romo was still with the Cowboys, he wouldn't be in a TV booth either. If and when Witten gets ushered to the door, I'm sure Romo will be are their arm around him saying, you got to come to TV. Okay. Well, on another front, uh, nobody's giving up. Yep, that is. Uh, no one's giving up on Peyton Manning in the TV booth. Again, Ron, this is something Rick and I touched on last week. But if you're Peyton Manning, why not consider it? I mean, especially if they're offering you $10 million a year. Well, uh, you know, you guys raise a good point, but the fact is he doesn't need the money, so that incentive is probably relatively meaningless to him. Uh, what would be his reason to do it? I mean, unless he thinks it's going to be fun or he just wants to get out of the house, get away from the wife and kids, uh, or in a lot of ways I could see him looking at it and saying this is more potential trouble than it's worth between critics saying I'm not Tony Romo and ex-players, I mean present players upset that an ex-player is criticizing him too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the upside is is minimal for him, uh, and, and maybe he figures he can't out Romo Romo in the BS department, which Romo has always been the best at. <laughs> he BS people into thinking he was a playoff quarterback for years. <laughs> well, you're saying I, I don't know reason to do it, maybe to get away from Brad Paisley and those ads. But anyway, um, well, where do you think Manning is in eight months? I mean, in a in a broadcast booth or or, or making more? You know, I mentioned Brad Paisley making more nationwide ads. Well, the way some of these guys are going, it's just a matter of time before he opens a winery like Bledsoe and Dan Marino and Rick Myra so he can say he's doing something. It gives the illusion that you're busy when you're not really busy. Oh, look at me. I'm yeah, out amongst well, the grapes, you know? Yeah, where, where are those Bledsoe wines that he was going to send us, Ron? <laughs> All you got to do is send them $100 a bottle, and they'll be right yeah, at your you doorstep. No well, as I, said the first, uh, as I said in <laughs> the first hour, uh, a lot going on this week. St. Paddy's Day, NCAA brackets. No wine here, but NCAA brackets, free agency. But I didn't include... The Ides of March, which is Thursday, and hopefully will treat us better than it did eh, a certain guy from Rome. That would be Italy, Ron, not New York from New York. So let's include it. Um, now, in fact, we can include it now. And, and, and let's include it by playing, yeah, the Ides of Canton. You heard me, the Ides of Canton. So here's how we play it. I'm going to give you guys two opportunities to say what you'd like to do with a Hall of Fame player, process, the Hall itself, team, whatever. But you must start by saying, 
Eid, and then go on. So thereby cementing our acknowledgement of the Eids, or Eids, both spellings are okay, Ron, I-D-S or I-D-E-S. Um, so you got it? I mean, Ron, Goose, you got it? Yep, got, got it. it. Got oh, it. Okay. okay, Goose Man, you're first up. I'd like to see a Hall of Fame amnesty class for 25 seniors to celebrate the NFL's 100th anniversary. The senior pool is an abyss, and we're not going to dent it by nominating one or two players each year. We need a quantity class to address some of the 60-plus all-decade players now in the senior pool. I'd also like to see the Hall of Fame Village reserve a wing for the future home of the Talk of Fame Network and its hosts. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, I'd like to see that too. Okay, Ron, let's your eyes. <laughs> I'd like to see Duke Slater get what he's deserved for more than 40 years, which is a bust in Canton for both his great play throughout his career and his role as a real African-American trailblazer for players in the 1920s and the early 1930s. And I would also like to see my favorite Hall of Fame official, Big Country Dave Baker, in a pink (laughs) sports coat to go with the electric blue and purple ones he already has. What a sight that would be. (laughs) <laughs> wow. He's the Don Cherry of the pro football. Huh? Exactly. Those jackets. Well, I'd like to see Art McNally named to the Hall of Fame as a contributor. We have one official in there. You get Shorty Ray, right, Goose? Shorty Ray? Yeah. Um, and it's about time that he has company. Art would be, to me, the perfect guy. I'd also like to see Drew Pearson get what should have been coming to him years ago. That's a bust in Canton. I mean, the guy's the only first-team wide receiver from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Or 2000s, not in the hall, and don't ask me why. All I know is our favorite guy, <laughs> T.O., Terrell Owens, who was a second ballot all-decade choice. He gets in after three years of whining. You know, and Drew, well, friend of the show, he doesn't get in, period, after sitting still. And, and sorry, but there's, there's just something wrong with that. Um, hey, guys, here's another I'd. I'd like to salute St. Patrick's Day by choosing the best or your favorite Irishman, Notre Dame alum, or anyone in the NFL associated with green, like Dartmouth green, Ron. And, Ron, I will start with you. You can go anywhere, name anyone, do anything you want. So what do you have for St. Patty's Day? What I have for St. Patty's Day is Johnny Lujak, the greatest Notre Dame player in history. Heisman Trophy winner, won three national titles in 43, 46, and 47. Two years in between, he was a naval officer during World War II. And he went 34-1-1 as a starter from his senior year in high school until he left Notre Dame. And he never lost a game in South Bend. He was 26-1-1 while quarterbacking the Irish. That's pretty good for an Irishman or even for a Portuguese like me. Ron, I'd like to salute Sparty, who wears green every day of the year, not just St. Patrick's Day. Oh, this is painful. It is Spartacus! Big, big surprise here, guys. It's not a Notre Dame alum. It's not Michigan State. It's Tom Brady, and I'll just stop right there. So here's another ride. <laughs> Tom O'Grady? Like to hear Rock- is that what you said? <laughs> not quite. So here's another ride, guys. I'd like to hear Robert cue up the intro for Borges or Bogus, because that's where we're going now, guys. Ronnie, you finished digging out from that snowstorm Tuesday, did you? No, no. I got uh, snow to my hips. Yeah, me too. Uh, unreal. I mean, that's Not two good. in ten days, uh, three in ten days. But we need a break, which is exactly why we want to hear what's on your mind. That is, other than cleaning your sidewalk. So let's get around. Well, guys, Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin took a victory lap for Kirk Cousins unknowingly uh, in reverse when he tweeted a statement that Cousins, quote, is a hero for all the young players that will follow after him. Now we need more players to bet on themselves until fully guaranteed contracts are the norm and not the exception. 
What Bowen was referring to was a belief that the free agent former Redskin quarterback was about to sign the rarest of commodities, a fully guaranteed three-year deal with an NFL team, in this case worth $84 million. That number would mark, make him the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL, and we can debate all day whether that's justice or not. But the larger issue is the bogus one that has gone on for decades. Why doesn't the most dangerous sport this side of prize fighting fully guarantee its player contracts? And the answer is obvious. Because it's the most dangerous sport this side of prize <laughs> exactly, fighting. Exactly. <laughs> but there's more to it than that. The presence of fully guaranteed contracts in sports as safe as baseball or a raspberry on your hip from sliding into second base is often the worst injury players suffer or in basketball where shin splints are often the most debilitating pain a player ever faces seem utterly bogus while football players can't seem to get a guaranteed contract. But it's their own fault. Baseball players shut down the World Series to retain fully guaranteed contracts. Basketball players were always willing to sit to make owners stand by the word of their contracts. Hockey players shut down an entire season to get a better deal in the era of guarantees than football players ever had. But in the strike-torn 1980s, NFL players had a chance to get them too. They had the courts on their side, they had judgments on their side, and they had management on the run. That was bogus and costly to players going forward. Now, Kirk Cousins did indeed bet on himself in Washington, and he won his bet. If Doug Baldwin thinks that taking that kind of risk is the best way to get guaranteed contracts, he's sadly mistaken and utterly bogus. So, Ron, who's to blame for the union's wobbly knees? Ed Garvey, Gene Upshaw, Demoris Smith, who? The stars. The star players. They're the ones who sold out the union, and they changed Upshaw forever. 1987... Uh, after that was all over and they refused to play, pay union dues uh, when they were going into uh, appeals court where they would have clearly won, he changed his whole point of view because he realized these guys are not going to stick together. And if you don't stick together, uh, your biggest stars, then you have no chance. If you remember, the NFL owners very smartly came up with this thing called the quarterback club. Uh, <laughs> ran by our, our friend Mike Ornstein. Uh, <laughs> boom! They sign all these uh, quarterbacks to uh, uh, extra side deals through NFL properties. They all came in. Well, who cares about the left guard who's, who's out there on the picket line or the tight end or, or the inside linebacker? Nobody. If you don't have the stars, you've got no leverage. So who does to blame? The stars of the past. Speaking of guarantees, Ron, I guarantee we're going to break right now. When we return... We're going to hear from Hall of Fame voter Dan Pompey. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, the past few weeks, we've been on a free dive into NFL history with a 32-week series on the best players, not currently joining camp. We're making stops in all 32 NFL cities in alphabetical order, mind you, and talking to Hall of Fame voters about the most glaring omissions from each of their towns. Now, our stop this week is Chicago, and no one better there to speak to than the Bleacher Report's Dan Pompey, the city's Hall of Fame rep. Of course, you could speak to my brother or sister because they live in Chicago. They're pretty good, too, but they don't know anything about the Bears, and Dan does. So, Dan, thanks for joining us. Always, always a pleasure. Hey, good to be with you guys. Enjoyed uh, being with you in Minneapolis. Uh, good meeting this year, and enjoy talking with you all the time. So, a lot of sick people there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're n- no longer among them. I know yeah, that yeah, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you were at one point. So, hey Dan, yeah. Dan, would it have been a good meeting if Erlacher had not been elected? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, you know, uh, I, I was very pleased he was elected. I think he was very deserving, and uh, I looked at uh, his body of work as as one that uh, was among the five best. 
And, uh, you know, if you looked at everything that he accomplished in his career, I think he was there with some pretty other special players. And uh, I, I thought it was fitting that he was, he was elected. Yeah, Dan, the Bears are a charter member of the NFL. They've got, like, 28 Hall of Famers now to show for their 98 years of existence. And, frankly, that does seem a bit light, and it is. The Bears have seven other candidates certainly worthy of discussion, like Ed Sprinkle, Rick Caceres, Harlan Hill, Joe Fortunato, Larry Morris, Jimbo Colbert, Jay Hilgenberg, Wilbur Marshall. This goes on and on. So in your eyes, who is the most deserving Bear not in Canton? Yeah, there's a bunch of them, Goose, really. Um, you know, one that we we had a little momentum for last year, I'll talk about him first, and that's Jim Colbert. Uh, he now is on the senior list, and, um, you know, he was uh, the linchpin of the, uh, the 85, the, the 1980 80 Bears offensive line and, and their, their great running game. Um, you know, he really just has completely slipped through the cracks, never has been a finalist. Um, you know, he went against LT, who many consider the greatest defensive player ever, in three games. Two of them were playoff games. One of them was the 1987 season opener that pitted the previous two Super Bowl champs. Held him without a sack in each of the games. Uh, also held Leroy Selman, Hall of Famer, without a sack in three games. Um, I-, I talked to Parcells about Colbert once, and he told me that he thought he was the best of any of the the tackles in the in the NFC at the time. He said it was way better. It wasn't even close. Uh, he, matter of fact, he said he was one of the best I've seen in my 30 years in football. So he, he said, you know, other guys had to have help against Taylor. Colbert never did. Um, I, I guess what has held him back is the fact that he's he played in only two Pro Bowls. He easily could have been a Pro Bowler four more times, but you guys know how the Pro Bowl voting is kind of strange sometimes. Yeah. And he played in only eight seasons because his career was shortened by by injury well one guy uh that goose and i always talk about uh dan you know when we're in those senior committee meetings is uh ed sprinkle he was an all-decade selection from the 40s george howells called once called him the greatest pass rusher he'd ever seen call your magazine back when people read magazines called him the meanest man in pro football uh which he was often accused of being the dirtiest man as well uh do you think his reputation perhaps kept him out in the early years, and and uh, do you think that eventually uh, he deserves a uh, a spot in Cam? Yeah, I mean, clearly he was a great player, a special player. He was uh, voted on the 1940s uh, all all. Uh, I guess it wasn't called all decade at the time, but he was one of the 1940s best players, um, and uh, accomplished a lot of great things. As you said, he didn't get put in the Hall of Fame in that first wave when the other players in the 40s did, and he played on uh, in an era where there were a lot of Bears, great Bears, who went in the Hall of Fame. So it becomes tough for guys like him. The farther removed we get from when they played, as you guys know, the harder it is. But he clearly was a special player. You know, someone, as you said, that Hallis thought was the greatest pass rusher he had ever seen. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he is a guy, another guy that you know, it would be great to talk about him at least one day, wouldn't it? It'd yeah, work. it would. And, um, Dan, and we're speaking with Dan Pompey, Hall of Fame voter from Chicago on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at Talk of Fame. And, Dan, I want to go back to what you were talking about with Jimbo Covert. Um, and you're talking about his career having been relatively short, eight years. 
don't you think where that might have been something that worked against him in the past that it's no longer an obstacle simply because of what happened with Terrell Davis, Kenny Easley, you know, a year ago, uh, the fact that they're in it, we are beginning to consider that not so much an obstacle. I'm talking about longevity, that maybe maybe that could help him in terms of uh, being a senior candidate at some point. Yeah, theoretically, I think there is kind of uh, an acceptance of players who had shorter careers now that maybe there wasn't of in the past. Um, but it still is, I think it still is an obstacle a little bit. I mean, you know, Tony Baselli didn't get in this year, and he certainly is, is very worthy, and I'm sure will get in in, in the near future. Uh, he's another player very similar to Covert. I mean, I really think... You know, Covert was the Baselli of his day. I mean, there are very strong parallels between the two of them. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you, longevity just, means something, too. We can't, we can't completely dismiss the fact right. that, you know, guys who were dominant for 15 years, I mean, or, or 12 years, I mean, there, there's something to that, too, that, that uh, we have to credit those guys for that. Yeah, I agree. I, but I just think that first team all decade should count for something. I mean, I, I understand guys have been overlooked, but uh, it should count for something and would hope that maybe you'd come out of the senior pool at some point. Absolutely. You know, uh, another guy all decade, too, that, that uh, you mentioned at the top was, was Joe Fortunato, uh, all decade from the 50s. Only player from the 50s all decade team not in the Hall of Fame. He's he's a real interesting guy. I mean, he had the misfortune of playing next to Bill George, who, you know, was considered the first middle linebacker and one of the greatest ever. Obviously, uh, uh, got uh, a little bit overshadowed, I think, when Dick Buckus came along. But uh, also played with with Larry Morris, who was the MVP of the 1963 championship team. But Fortunato was was something else. I mean, he had 38 career takeaways in an era when linebackers didn't get a lot of takeaways. To this day, the only bear with more, the only bear linebacker with more takeaways than him was Butkus. Um, Don Pearson, who who you guys know well, uh, and I have been working on an all-time Bears team uh, for a, a book project we're involved with, and Fortunato is our first team outside linebacker. Well, certainly so. Let's let's stay with linebackers, Dan. You know, we've had Wilbur Marshall on our show, and frankly, his absence from Canton just. It, it just puzzled me. He was a weak side linebacker on a Super Bowl champion in Chicago, a strong side backer on a Super Bowl champion in Washington, and he was a fixture on nine top ten defenses in his 12-year career. Yet he's never even been discussed. How do you view his candidacy? Yeah, another interesting case. I could tell you this. There are some people who played with him on the Bears of the 1980s who thought he was the best player on the team. Uh, he certainly had that kind of ability. I always thought that if he had stayed with the Bears and stayed in that defensive scheme, obviously Buddy Ryan left, so things things got a little different. But if he'd stayed with that team with those players, he might have been remembered a little bit differently, or, or you know his his legacy might have been more appreciated. Um, he started, you know, he, he did go to to Washington. Uh, was traded to Washington in a because of a contract dispute. Uh, played there, I think, five years, if I'm not mistaken, and then kind of bounced around the last few years in the league. Uh, but he was a he was a special, special player who could do yeah, probably more things than almost any linebacker I've ever seen. 
Well, you know, Dan, one of the guys that I have, have always found fascinating with the Bears, having once been a fast white guy myself, uh, Harlan Hill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, Harlan Hill could fly, man. You know, I mean, this is a guy who was uh, – he had 1,124 receiving yards in his rookie year when they were playing 12 games. He scored 12 touchdowns. You know, he was a, a – uh, uh, NFL Most Valuable Player in 55. He was Rookie of the Year in 54. You know, what about him, and why do you think he seemed to just fade away, even though he clearly was a great player? You think you could beat him in a 40, Ron? Yeah, yeah, but not today, <laughs> but maybe back in the day. <laughs> if I was starting from the 20. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was an unusual player in his day because of his combination. He was of size and speed. You know, he was 6'3", and... Uh, he could outrun a lot of people. He was pretty special. Uh, played with, with uh, uh, during a time when the Bears were not dominant and uh, still was, was a dominant player, as you said. Uh, led, the, led the league in, in uh, touchdowns a couple times and was, was an MVP for a receiver, which is pretty rare. Um, clearly was the Bears' best receiver of all time. Um, he he kind of went downhill, had some injuries, and you know I, I think he could have had a, a longer, more productive career uh, than he did, but still was was outstanding and, and uh, is a guy, another guy that you know you kind of shake your head and you wonder how did he slip through the, the cracks of the Hall of Fame discussions. Dan, I'd like to see that match race. You know, uh, Ron against uh, Harlan Hill. That would be Harlan Hill against. Over the hill. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dan, we've got about 30 seconds. Quick question. Jay Hilgenberg, uh, you know, uh, seven Pro Bowls at center, two-time first-team All-Pro selection. Uh, where do you see him? Well, another guy. We've never discussed him. I could tell you this. Right. There are only four centers in history with more Pro Bowl or, or, or even AFL All-Star appearances than Hilgenberg seven. And, and the four of them, Jim Otto, Jim Ringo, Mike Webster, they're in the Hall of Fame. The other is Kevin Awai who's knocking on the door. Uh, Hilgenberg was voted to be a starter seven times. That's back when the Pro Bowl had more meaning, I think, than it did now. And uh, Even Reggie White said Hilgenberg was one of the five greatest offensive linemen he played against. So he's a guy that I really would like to talk about sometime, too. Terrific, Dan. Thanks so much for the time, and and best of luck with that Jim Book over first. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. That was Hall of Fame voter Dan Pompey. Up next, don't mess with Texas, right? Uh, We will. Stay tuned to find out why. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. In advance of the draft, we're rolling out a weekly series on some of the top collegiate producers of NFL talent. Now, if this sounds familiar, it should. Because we did this series last year when we hopscotched across the country with stops at Notre Dame, Southern Cal, Alabama, Ohio State, among others. And we're going to visit seven more schools this spring, and we're going to start deep in the heart of Texas, where the Goose Man is, in Austin, Texas, with the University of Texas. And Goose, I know, as I said, that's in your neighborhood. So if you can, um, give us a little History 101 on the Texas Longhorns. Well, Clark, Texas has produced 44 first-round draft picks, and half of them were top 10 selections. Uh, the, the Longhorns have had three players selected with the first overall pick of drafts, linebacker Tommy Nobus in 1966, fullback Earl Campbell in 1977, 
and defensive end Ken Sims in 1982. Texas also has had two players selected second overall and three more selected third overall. Interestingly enough, though, for all the players Texas has turned out, they only have two players with busts in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Bobby Lane and Earl Campbell. Well, that seems to be at least one bus light. And you know what? I'm looking over at Ron, and I see his eyes light up. Ron, I didn't say one bud light. I said one bus light <laughs> in, in Canton. And, and, and I'm talking about linebacker Tommy Nobis. Um, you guys remember him. So do I. Sure. Um, I just remember, you know, watching him play in college. He Outland Trophy winner is the best defensive player there. Uh, Maxwell Trophy winner is the best player in college in 1965. And then he became the first overall pick of the NFL draft and was an all-decade selection in the 1960s, along with Hall of Famers Dick Butkus and Ray Nitschke. Now, I know we've addressed Tommy on this show before, but, Ron, he's never been a Hall of Fame finalist. And that seems to be sort of a recurring theme that we talk about here. I mean, great players who've never been there as a finalist or semifinalist, but he's never been a finalist. So what gives? Well, I think he's a classic, classic example of good player, bad team. Uh, especially in those days, you know, before the advanced metrics that you and Goose love so much, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and I think that hurts uh, a guy like Tommy Nobus. Uh, the overemphasis uh, amongst Hall voters uh, historically on the team success, I think, really buried him too. And so did a terrible knee injury. He played only five games in '69 yeah. and four games in '71, and he was never the same player again. You know, in those days, they opened you up with a chainsaw. You know, it wasn't really science, and uh, it was it was really difficult. Um, and I think the other thing was he was rarely seen outside of the Atlanta area. And some would say he wasn't seen inside the Atlanta area that much either. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you didn't see the Falcons on TV, so you didn't right, see right. him on TV. Right. Uh, uh, you know, they didn't want to watch him in Atlanta. They weren't going to put him on national television. So uh, I guess in the end you'd say not enough Hall of Fame voters saw him either. Uh, but anybody you talked to who coached against him or played against him uh, would certainly make strong arguments for Tommy Novus being in the Hall of Fame. Well, let me ask you this because you and, and Goose are on that senior committee. How often does his name come up, if it comes up at all? I mean, you've got a lot of candidates there, but is he what you'd call a hot candidate, meaning a guy on the short list, or is he not? His name does come up quite a bit. Uh, I think there's, you know, generally when we've had advisors in there, it seems like most of the time you get guys that are really uh, big advocates or, you you know, pretty lukewarm. And, again, you wonder sometimes if that's because the rest of his team uh, you know, everybody talks to him. Uh, the one, most of the people I talk to talk to him as if he's two players: the prior to the injury Tommy Novus, and the post injury Tommy Novus. Um, you know, the prior to the injury guy was just you know he made 294 tackles allegedly in one season, which is still a record according to however they compute these things. Uh, no wonder he got hurt. The right of his shoulders didn't fall off. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then you get to, you talk to him post those those injuries and. and I, th- I think he lost a little bit uh, there. And he probably loses a bit in, com- in comparison. Look, he came up at a time uh, where you were looking at Dick, Dick Butkus and, and uh, right. uh, you know players like that. So um, I-, I think, though, if you polled tons of guys who played against him, they'd say that he should be in that room at the minimum and be discussed. I think part of the problem is when we have our, our senior committee meetings, more and more the consultants are guys that played in the 70s and the 80s. The guys right, that didn't yeah. play against Tommy and Tommy Novus. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what the the consultants say influences the vote. And I think that's why you see a lot more younger guys coming out, the you know, the, the Kenny Easley type players, because they've seen them play. Tommy Novus was a great, great player from sixty six to seventy, and a lot of people didn't see that greatness. 
Yeah, and also the subject of a great, great album in rock opera, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I thought that was yeah. about Tommy Brady. <laughs> okay. Uh, Goose, as you know, better than most, uh, University of Texas always has had a great tradition at running back. Earl Campbell, of course, he won three NFL rushing titles. He's in the Hall of Fame. But he's not alone. Ricky Williams, Priest Holmes, they also won NFL rushing titles. Jamal Charles, Eric Metcalf also had 1,000-yard seasons, and, and they went to Pro Bowls. So, Goose, would you say that that position, running back, has been the most successful position NFL teams have had in drafting Texas players? You know, when uh, when people look at uh, Texas and Oklahoma, they, they think running backs because throughout the 60s of Darrell Royal there in the 70s, just the wishbone offense, just just great runners one after the other. But but surprisingly, no, it's it's, it's safety where Texas produced eight All-Americans Whoa. and six first-round draft picks. Jerry Gray, Michael Griffin, Michael Huff, Stanley Richard, Earl Thomas, and Kenny Vaccaro. All were selected in the first 21 picks of the first round. Now, Huff was the highest taken at number seven by the Raiders. And as a group, they have not been as successful as the running backs we spoke of earlier. But, but Thomas has been special. He's gone to six Pro Bowls and Seattle's Legion of Boom defense and has a Super Bowl ring. These guys, and the best one of the best prospects at Texas this year is another safety, Deshaun Elliott. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll talk about him, but I, I want to ask you quickly first, Ron. Kenny Vaccaro or Brenda Vaccaro? <laughs> oh, Brenda Vaccaro going away. What are you kidding me? Just the voice. <laughs> what a great voice. Oh, man. Think she smoked a couple uh, cigarettes in her day? Uh, just a few, yeah. <laughs> well, Goose mentioned to John Elliott. Um, as you mentioned, Goose, I mean, that's a pretty good safety coming down the pike. Um, what do you got on him? I mean, how good's this guy? Yeah, he's the eighth All-American tech, Texas safety. Um, he, he was one of the three Thorpe Road finalists last year's defensive best of back defensive back in college football. Intercepted six passes, ran two of them back for touchdowns. Then he decided to skip a senior season, turn pro. But because of the position he plays, I, I don't see him as a first-round selection. Yeah, it, it did take him three years to finally get on the field as a starter. So I think a second or third out is a more likely landing place, but there's certainly no shame in going there. One of the best Texas safeties ever was Bill Bradley, who was a third-round pick of the Eagles in 69. He went to three Pro Bowls, was a two-time first-team All-Pro selection. He was a punter. He was a returner. He did it all. Your typical yeah. Texas football He did do player. it all, Goosey. He was a great basketball player, too. I love <laughs> Bill Bradley. Tremendous player. Uh, okay, Ron, um, the Patriots are your team, and, yes. and they're my team. And they used the first overall pick of the 82 draft, as we mentioned earlier, on Kenneth Sims. Now, he played eight seasons in New England. You covered him. Yes. He had a grand total of 17 sacks, never went to a Pro Bowl, and never lived up to his draft bill. And you probably killed him in the papers. So why didn't it work out for Kenneth Sims and the New England Patriots? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, Kenny Sims, to me, was a sad story. He was really quite a solid uh, professional uh, interior lineman and had – uh, and what he did, he would have really been considered to have had a really good career if he had been taken in the, in the third round or, or, or certainly if he had been taken after that or even maybe in the second round. But unfortunately, when you're the number one pick in the draft uh, and every single team would have taken him, so it wasn't like they made a mistake. You know, you're supposed to be a Superman and that he was not. You know, he was kind of a run-stuffing guy who always seemed to lack just that really quick step. He was always one step away from it. He was he probably led the league in, in one step away from a sacks if they kept <laughs> such a stat. You know, it was it was unbelievable. And he also made a terrible mistake his rookie season. You can imagine the anticipation when he showed up here. And in those days of course the veterans showed up uh, later. And so the Oklahoma drill was the first drill, first day 
and uh, he got pancaked by Pro Bowl tackle Shelby Jordan in the first drill. And he really got embarrassed. And uh, so at the end of that practice, all the writers were around him, of course, and they asked him about the play, and Kenny said, I play on game day. And that, be- and that became his nickname amongst his teammates, Game Day. He never could live that down. <laughs> Sounds like game I play day. when I want to play. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like I play when I want to play. I play on uh, Game Day. You know, I thought you were going to tell me he's going to say, hey, what's the problem here? You know, it was the Oklahoma drill. It wasn't the Texas drill. <laughs> yeah, Texas really. Drill. I would have been fine. So, Ron, um, one more question about the Pats here. Sure. Does Raymond Claiborne remain the best Texas Longhorn you've seen on that team, on that New England campus? Yeah, it's actually it's not even close. I went back and, and – uh, uh, research it a little bit. Uh, I don't even have an idea who would be in second place. Maybe young Malcolm Brown, who's very good defensive, was number one pick in 2015. Mm-hmm. He'd been a solid right. run-stuffing interior defensive tackle. But Raymond Claiborne was special. I mean, he went to three pro, pro Bowls. He played on the 85 Super Bowl team. He lasted 13 years with New England. Uh, and he produced 36 picks. Uh, he was the leading interceptor for a long time till Ty Law came along. Um, and he had some memorable kick and punt returns early in his career. He also was you know, part of a really good tandem of corners with Mike Haynes and himself until Mike left for Oakland to form a better one with the guy we've been talking about, the judge, uh, Lester Hayes. <laughs> yeah. But Claiborne was a solid player for for a long time and probably better than he's gotten credit for, to be frank. I'll tell you another thing. You know, we talked about safeties. They've got a pretty good history of corners, too. Yeah. You know, Bobby Dillon in the 50s, who Ron Wolf's yeah. a big fan of, <clears throat> 52 interceptions, eight seasons. Uh, Claiborne, of course. Quentin Jammer was a, a, a Fifth pick of a draft, Aaron Ross. You know they've got, yep. they have first round draft picks all across their secondary, and uh, you know, it's Texas is a speed team, a speed campus, and speed generally shows up in defensive backfield. Hey, Ron, speaking of Claiborne, was he the guy that got into it with Will McDonough in the locker room? He was the guy who got into it with uh, with and he, Will, and he got the worst of that, right? Yeah, he did. He got flattened, and, <laughs> yes, uh, and, and he, the part of that story that's great is you know he came at Will, and Will just dropped him, and. Uh, Boom, down he went. and uh, But he had poked Will in the eye with his finger, which is why Will popped him. Uh, so they took Will into the into the trainer's room. It's a true story. Took him in the trainer's room to look at his eye because Willie had more friends there than Claiborne did. And uh, while they were looking at it, Clay, this is a true story, Claiborne came in the trainer's room not knowing Willie was there, and Will looked up at him and said, you want another one? And Claiborne turned around and walked right out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great story. Oh, oh it was great. God. Well, um, Goose, let's go to a, a, another position. That's quarterbacks. Um, not been a great recent history there. Bobby Lane, it seems to me, was the last great quarterback for Texas. You are correct. That was a long time ago, long time high ago. High bar there. <laughs> really high bar. Um, but there really hasn't been much since Bobby Lane. Um, you know, you had Chris Sims, Vince Young, Colt McCoy. They've all been drafted of late, but really none of them led their teams anywhere. I, I know Vince Young did go to a pro, but... but he seemed to have washed out of the league early. So what's been what's been the problem there? I'll tell you what. Everybody in the country in college is recruiting quarterbacks in the state of Texas. Um, there, there are quarterbacks playing, I think, starting at major college in every state in the country. And Matthew Stafford mm-hmm. left here to go to Georgia. But t- Texas in particular, every kid in the state wants to play at Texas. And this is just poor recruiting. There have been two quarterbacks who have won recent Super Bowls that played their high school ball in Austin at the same school, in fact, Westlake. But Drew Brees left home to play his college ball at Purdue, and Nick Foles left to play his college ball at Michigan State. It seems to me the Longhorns need to do a much, much better job of scouting local talent. They better get a quarterback, and there are so many of them in Austin. That's what's holding the school back. 
Yeah, but Goose, how do you keep them? I mean, that's the question, especially if they're not winning. How do you keep them there? How do you keep them in state? It's, they're they're going to win. They've got among the best facilities in, in football. But the point is, you got to get the quarterback to get the winning going, and they haven't had okay. that. Uh, but the, everybody still wants to go to Texas in this state. They got to find the right quarterbacks to get the scholarships too. Goose man, let me tell you something. You can't keep a Texas kid from going to Purdue. You got a recruiting problem. Yeah, <laughs> let me tell you, right. you got a too small, real too problem. small, six foot. Hey, Goose, how many times you flashed that hook'em horn sign since landing in Texas, huh? Uh, <laughs> go green. Anyway, we're we're going to continue our series in the top college producers next week when we visit the University of Florida. In the meantime, we're going to our two minute drill. That's coming up next. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, Ed Hockley may be retired from the game, but you know what? He's not gone from the show. Not yet, he's not. Hey, Ed. That's the two-minute warning. That can only mean one thing. We're on to our two-minute drill, so just may get us started. Four past Pro Bowl runners have been released this offseason. Adrian Peterson, DeMarco Murray, Jonathan Stewart, and Doug Martin. Which one has the greatest market value? None of the above. Give me Deion Lewis. Or maybe Deion of the Belmonts. I say it's DeMarco Murray because he's still got some tread left on the tires, but no leverage in the marketplace. <laughs> the Seahawks have parted ways this offseason with three cornerbacks from the NFL's sixth best pass defense. Richard Sherman, Jeremy Lane, and Deshaun Sneed. Are they culprits or scapegoats? They're fortunate. <laughs> Pete Carroll seems to me to become a guy who says, it ain't me, it's the guy behind the tree. Speaking of quarterbacks, Drew Brees needs 1,500 yards to become the NFL's all-time leading passer. Where would that feat put him on your list of all-time quarterbacks? Somewhere behind Peyton and a long way ahead of Eli. 1,500th. <laughs> John Gruden, Jay Gruden, or Jay and the Americans? Jay Lowe. <laughs> Jay Silverheels. Everybody needs a Tato on their side. The over-under for the number of wins by the Gruden Raiders this season is seven. Are you betting the over or the under? Not betting until they move to Vegas, Goose. I'm betting the way over. Carr will be back in the driver's seat this year. Who would you rather have as your quarterback, Kirk Cousins or Nick Foles? Guy with the Super Bowl ring. Nick's, Nick Foles, so I don't have to hear Goose humming the theme from Spartacus in, the, in my owner's box. I believe Nick Foles went to Michigan State. Well, let's oh, no! Did he really? Let's uh. assume Bill Belichick has the best defensive mind in the NFL. Who has the best offensive mind? Easy. Tom Brady. No, anybody coaching Tom Brady. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is one of the nation's best attraction for sports fans. What got your vote? Sports Illustrated's Swimsuit Edition. The porch at the clubhouse at Augusta National on Masters Weekend. Fun, sun, and an Otto Palmer in your hand. Can the Giants be fixed in one offseason? No. <laughs> they've, uh, they've already been fixed. They gave the gate to Ben McAdoo. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Tony Grossi and Dan Pompey for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or dial us up on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.